My original plan was to do a part two to this morning's message, but I needed a bit more time. Psalm 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Please bow with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for allowing us to open up your word. Father, help us to be impressed with the brevity of life and the certainty of judgment as we look at this text today. Father, guard us from distractions. Guard our hearts and our minds. Help us to hear your word, to receive it with joy and gladness and meekness. Grant us your Holy Spirit to help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Such a small verse, but there's so much here that it deserves its own sermon. Moses prays, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Dear friends, we live in a day where where Christians have a need to be more focused, more purposeful, more committed, more zealous than ever before. Why? I would argue that we live in a very unique period of history. We have greater amounts of biblical resources than any other generation of Christians here in America. And yet we have a great decline in morality and in our culture and in many churches. A lukewarmness. A nominal Christianity. Is this a serious matter? Consider the biblical principle we learn in Luke chapter 12, verse 48. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. That verse often frightens me. It makes me want to say, Lord, don't give us anything else. Don't give us any more truth because judgment is heaping up. There is an expectation that where much is given, much is required from it. This is a principle I believe applies to us individually as believers. But I would also argue that this principle applies to nations. Consider the words of Christ in Matthew chapter 11. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. 
Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. He rebuked the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done. Why? To whom much is given, much is required. One of the principles we see here is that even though God is sovereign, wicked men are held accountable for rejecting the light they have. And as believers, we have a responsibility for wisely using the gifts and resources that we are given. You and I live in a nation that is drowning with biblical truth. Let me explain. As we heard this morning, on sermon audio alone, there are, there's, there's access to millions of sermons. Difference, think about history. There was a point in time, after the, the great ejection of Puritan preachers, that, that, you could, that, that churches did not have a pastor. They had nobody to preach for years. For even decades, can you imagine that? Not being able to hear a sermon. And yet we have access to millions at the click of a button. Thousands of sermons and lectures on YouTube. We have churches on every corner. Radio stations, broadcasting, reformed teaching. We call this Christmas season. You go even into secular stores right now, and what do you hear? The gospel being proclaimed in song. There are more conferences to attend each and every year, and if you can't attend those conferences, you can most likely get the messages online. We have Christian bookstores with thousands of different titles. And more written every year. We have technology that makes it much easier for us to study than any other group throughout history. You think of, of men throughout history who, who wrote volumes of books. Dipping a quill into ink over and over again. And, and we can just dictate and words appear on the screen. And some would even say that there has been a revival of reformed doctrine that has taken place over the, the last couple of decades. But the question is, where is the fruit? And does the, the fruit that we see actually reflect the amount that we've been given? Let's look at some of the fruit in America. There were an estimated 22,900 murders in 2021. That, that number obviously does not include abortion because that would add another million. In 2021, there were 144,300 reported rape cases in the U.S. alone. Some sites would say that there are as many as 400,000 cases of sexual assault annually in this country. 
According to one poll, roughly 21% of Generation Z Americans who have reached adulthood identify as LGBT. That's one in five of every Gen Z adult identifies as LGBT. As of 2021, roughly 20 million Americans identified as either gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender. And what about in the so-called churches? It has become commonplace to, to drive past church buildings and see them flying the rainbow flag in support. And you talk to to many professing Christians and they have no problem with these things. They have no problem with fornication, with adultery, with abortion. They say, yes, well, you know, that's unfortunate. It, It is a sad situation, but, you know, I don't want to say much more than that. I don't think I need to belabor this point anymore. You get the point. There is a great disconnect between the spiritual food, the spiritual resources God has given to this nation and the fruit that is being produced. And this should be frightening. I think there are many possible reasons for this disconnect. And ultimately, we can say it is God's sovereignty. But we do well not to blame God's sovereignty when we don't do our part. And I want to look at this text today, especially in light of the fact that we are quickly approaching the end of another year. And I would argue that Christians are not as fruitful as we should be in our culture, in our nation, because we are often too distracted from what really matters. Too busy with distractions. And we don't produce fruit. And because we don't produce fruit, we see less fruit in the world around us. We need faithful men like John Wesley. Although we would disagree with much of his doctrine, his lifestyle was exemplary. A lady once asked Wesley that suppose he were to know that he would die at 12 midnight tomorrow. How would he spend the intervening time? Listen to his answer. Why, madam, just as I intend to spend it now. I would preach this evening in Gloucester. And again at 5 tomorrow morning. After that, I would ride to Tewksbury, preach in the afternoon, and meet the societies in the evening. I would then go to Reverend Martin's house, who expects to entertain me, talk and pray with the family as usual, retire to my room at 10 o'clock, commend myself to my Heavenly Father, lie down to rest, and wake up in glory. How many of us live that purposefully? We live with such purpose that that if we knew that we were going to die tomorrow, we would not change anything. That is amazing. We need Christians like Edwards, 
who accomplished so much fruit, even though he died at a young age. And what did Edwards resolve to do? He said, resolved never to lose one moment of time, but improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. Are you resolved to do that? To not waste a moment's time. This does not mean that you can't rest. It doesn't mean that you don't spend time sitting there playing with your kids and enjoying nature and other things. That's not the point. The point is that there is a time to rest, but then there is a time to work and that we ought to be purposeful in what we do. One of the things that helped Edwards stay this focused was that he often thought of his own death. He he said, resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Resolved that I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. Resolved to think much on all occasions of my own dying and of the common circumstances which attend death. Dear friends, in three weeks' time, we will be entering into a new year. And what does that mean? It means that we are all one year closer to our death. Consider that. Even little children, we don't like to think of children as dying. We think of them as growing up. But in actuality, even little children are growing one year closer to the time that it is appointed for them to die. Is this a bad thing to consider? Is it negative to think of death this way? We, we talked about this in Philippians several weeks ago. Our world does not like to think about death. We have people looking for ways to live forever on earth. People are absolutely obsessed about living longer. I will spend $80,000 if I can live one more day. Obsessed with it. And and you even have foolish scientists trying to look for ways to never die. And we hope in medicine. I remember years ago when I was training to work EMS... And in your training, they, they drill into you this sequence of, of thoughts that you go through when you arrive to a scene. And the first thing you think is BSI and scene safety. Is the scene safe for me to enter? And do I have on body substance isolation? My gloves, whatever else I need. And I remember going to my first day of clinicals where I was going to work on an ambulance for the first time. And there was an experienced man sitting there He said to me, what's the first thing you need to know working EMS? And I knew the answer, BSI and scene safety. He said, he he laughed at me. He said, in the textbooks, that's the first answer. The first thing you need to know working EMS is that people die and there is nothing you can do about it. And if you can't live with that, you can't do this job. 
Different, all of the, the medical equipment. Useless when God says, it's time for you to come home. We, we, we witnessed the death of a man not too long ago, Steve Jobs. One of the wealthiest men in the world died at a young age. If anybody could buy treatment, it was him. But he couldn't. But if we can't avoid death, then let us at least not think about it, right? Perhaps some of you, like me, grew up memorizing a prayer from the New England Primer. And now I lay me down to sleep. I pray to the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I remember being in a store hearing that, but they switched it. Instead of saying, if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take, it said, angels watch me through the night and wake me with the morning light. And I said, those lyrics are not right. And so I looked it up and there were so many versions where death had been removed. No more talk of death. Let's not talk about that. As I pointed out a few weeks ago, according to Scripture, it can be highly beneficial to think of death. And I read to you Ecclesiastes 7.2, It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. And this is what Moses is praying in his prayer in our text. And we will consider two things, the petition of this prayer and the reason for the petition. The petition of Moses is, Lord, teach us to number our days. Teach us to always be considering the the shortness of life and the nearness of death. There were two things Moses understood. Number one, life is short. You don't even have to be smart to know that. Just look around you. Life is short. And we see it all over Scripture. Man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. He comes out like a flower and withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. And the older we get, the more we realize this truth. There's a poem that captures this well. It says, When I was a child, I laughed and wept. Time crept. When as a youth I dreamed and talked, time walked. When I became a full-grown man, time ran. When older still I daily grew, time flew. Soon I shall be traveling on, time gone. How many of you can relate to that? Sometimes I feel like I can't catch my breath because time is going by so fast. I I just got married and now I have four children. Where did the time go? And I know some of you laugh at me because because of my my youth. Because you feel it as well. And you know that that for, for you, it feels like it's even going faster. But the second thing that Moses understood was that God must be the one to teach us to number our days if we are to profit from it. 
Without discernment from God, we number our days and say, let us eat and drink and party for tomorrow we die. Let us make as much money as we can in order to buy as much pleasure as we can before we die. Let us drink and do drugs to forget about the depressing thought of the nearness of death. You see, not all thoughts of the nearness of death are profitable. Some people indulge in sin like never before when they consider the shortness of their lives. From the time I was a little boy, I was very acquainted with death. I remember at a very, very young age, one of my uncles died. And I didn't know him very well. So, so it really didn't bother me. And I was very young. But I remember, I can see my, my grandmother sitting at the table crying. I can see that in, in my mind to this very day. And I, and I saw the effect that it had on her, even though I did not experience it. But then a couple of years later, my grandfather, who lived two houses down from me, died. And, and for the very first time, I felt the pain and the sting of losing a loved one. A couple of years later, at the age of 12, my father died. And I once again remembered that, that pain of death. I then had several uncles die. And I remember when one of my last uncles died, I they were asking me if I wanted to go into the hospital room, and I said, no, I, I was probably 15 years old. I said, no, I don't, I don't want to see another dead body. I am done with that. Too many funerals, too many deaths. And then at the age of 17, my grandmother died, who lived across the street from me, whom I was very close to. And I had felt the pain of death over and over again. But you know what? It never changed me. Maybe for a day or so. But that's it. And almost every time I went to a funeral, I would see family members that I had, had not seen in years. And everyone would talk about how they would start spending more time together and getting their lives right. Do you think it ever happened? No. The thought of death temporarily made them contemplate life, but with no lasting value. Moses understood this. I've heard that amongst philosophers throughout history, the suicide rate has been higher. Why? Because here are men who contemplate death and the meaning of life more than most people. And it's such a grim reality to them that they end up taking their own lives. Because as much as you know, if you have to face death and you don't have Christ, it's dreadful. What's the meaning? Why, why even go on? I have, to, I have to die soon. Why even keep living this life? Moses understood that there was no profit 
in contemplating death unless the Lord is giving us wisdom. That's why he's saying, Lord, teach us. Lord, teach us to number our days. God must teach us to number our days. And then we have the reason for Moses' petition. He says that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Spurgeon said, men are led by reflections upon the brevity of time to give their earnest attention to eternal things. They become humble as they look into the grave which is so soon to be their bed. Their passions cool in the presence of mortality and they yield themselves up to the dictates of unerring wisdom. But this is only the case when the Lord himself is the teacher. He alone can teach To real and lasting profit, a short life should be wisely spent. We have not enough time at our disposal to justify us in misspending a single quarter of an hour. Neither are we sure of enough of life to justify us in procrastinating for a moment. For if we were wise in heart, we should see this. But mere Head wisdom would not guide us right. And Matthew Henry said, When we then number our days to good purpose, when thereby our hearts are inclined and engaged to true wisdom, that is, to the practice of serious godliness, to be religious is to be wise. This is a thing to which it is necessary that we apply our hearts, and the matter requires and deserves a close application to which frequent thoughts of the uncertainty of our continuance here and the certainty of our removal hence will very much contribute. Considering the shortness of our lives ought to make us apply wisdom to our lives, which ultimately means living godly. So how does numbering our days help us to live as we should? How does numbering our days help us to live godly? I don't want to put five things before you today. Number one, death reminds us of our need for Christ. How does it do this? Have you ever considered the fact that death is not natural? Do you realize that? Everybody dies, so it's natural. It is not natural. Death is supernatural. Man was not created to die. Death is judgment for the sins of Adam and Eve. Death is supernatural judgment from God. A reminder that God means what He says. You eat the fruit and you die And every time someone dies, it is a reminder of that truth. But just as death is a reminder that God meant it when he said, do not eat of the fruit or you will die, it is also a reminder that after death comes the judgment. Death reveals to us that his words are true and that he punishes sin. It is a reminder that if we die without a saving knowledge of Christ, we are sure to spend eternity in hell. 
every time you think about death. It ought to remind you, I need a Savior. Whenever you go to a funeral and see that that body there, it should be a reminder to you, I need the the blood of Christ. Because death is certain. Judgment is severe. And Christ is the only way. And number two, death makes sin bitter. There is something about death that makes sin much more heinous in our eyes. It helps us to see sin for what it is. We, we often struggle with certain sins. We all do it. There, there are sins that are sweet to us. And we know it should not be the case. But we know that we, we oftentimes don't hate sin as we should. And sometimes there are just those sins that we, we know it's supposed to be bad, but, but we just don't see it that way. But the thought of death being near can take that sweet-tasting sin and make it bitter in your mouth. And this is the case for two reasons. One, we see that sin is the reason we will soon die. Once again, as we see sin as the ultimate cause of death, and we, cons- and we see it and consider its destructive power, it loses its It's appeal. And number two, thoughts of standing before the Lord in judgment makes us want to do what is right. Once again, that resolution of Edwards. Resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were my last hour on earth. How many times have you sinned presumptuously? You sin knowing I have time. I'm going to confess this sin and repent afterwards. How many times have you done that? I can't be the only one. Dear friends, if you were about to die, would you dare do that? Imagine that sin that that just gets you every time. And when you are about to commit that sin, all of a sudden, you think you're having a heart attack. You think you're about to die. Oh, how would you despise that sin at that point in time? You would hate it. It would be nasty, disgusting. It would be bitter in your mouth. As, as, as Edwards once said, your very next step may be into eternity. Consider that. Consider the shortness of your life. And think of sin in light of that. That it would become bitter in your mouth instead of sweet. And number three, death motivates us to work diligently. Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. In John 
chapter 9, verse 4, Christ said, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when, when no one can work. Difference, Christ said this. Christ knew his earthly ministry was short. And apparently that motivated him to get to work. If Christ used that for motivation, how much more should we? John Gill said this about Christ. He had but a little time to be in this world and therefore would make the best use of it to do the will of the, and the work of his Father that sent him. And which should be a pattern for us. This life is but short. It is but as the length of a day. A great deal of business is to be done. And death is hastening on. Which will put a period to all working. This was Christ's thought process. I don't have much time. I can't waste time. May we think the same. But this should especially make us diligent in our work of sharing the gospel. John 4.35 Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Difference, there is a harvest that is ready. People are dying every day without hearing the gospel. And we don't know how much time they have. We don't know how much time we have on earth to share it with them. Let us be diligent. <clears throat> I remember one of my uncles that died. And I was an adult when he died. This was several years back. And I heard that he wasn't doing well. And I, and I drove past his street multiple times, telling myself, you know, I should stop there soon to share the gospel with him. And I had every good intention of doing that. And then I remember sitting at my sister's house, and my mom getting a phone call saying that he was in the hospital unconscious. And about ten minutes later, she, she received another phone call saying that he was dead. And I remember thinking to myself, what on earth what was I doing? What, what was so important for me to do that I could not take the time to, to, to go to this man's house and share the gospel with him on his deathbed? What was more urgent? What was more pressing? And, and I am not saying that we drop everything that we, that we are given to do and, to, and just go and start sharing the gospel all day long. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is this. That was an urgent matter. And yes, God is sovereign. But we dare not blame our lack of diligence 
on the sovereignty of God. We, we dare not use the sovereignty of God as an excuse to not be diligent in sharing the gospel. And number four, death is a reminder of God's love. And it should stimulate us to love and gratitude. Even though death ought to remind us of God's judgment, it should also remind us of his love. Why? When you're young and healthy, it's hard to to embrace death. To think of death as a good thing. But as you age, something happens. Some saints begin to lose their minds and their strength. Their abilities to eat and drink. Their ability to use the bathroom on their own. I can't tell you how much time I've spent in nursing homes. Difference, go to a nursing home and find an elderly saint who is unable to get out of his bed, unable to see, unable to enjoy anything, unable to read the Bible, and whose flesh is literally rottening off of their body. When you see believers in that condition, you begin to understand that God is gracious and merciful to allow us to die and have eternal peace and rest in his presence. Lloyd-Jones, on his very deathbed, told his family, do not pray for me to remain longer. Shortly before he died, he opened up his eyes and said, don't hold me back from the glory. And that's okay. He wasn't an escapist trying trying to escape life. He he knew that his life had come to an end and and he could now embrace the wonders and beauties of going to be with his Lord. But when we die, we also escape sin. Do you ever just get tired of sinning? Do you long to have a glorified body and a glorified mind that is no longer used to sin? And even more so, to die is to be with Christ. Philippians 1.23, I am hard pressed between the two. Paul was a decisive man and now he's hard pressed. My desire is to, be, is to, is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. And again, I am not saying that we ought to desire to escape our responsibilities here on earth. No, we are to embrace them. But for Paul, he had a very real conflict about which was better, life or death. We should not despise life. That is poor stewardship. But we should have a very real, strong desire to be with Christ. I'm afraid there are many Christians who just don't look at Christ that way. They don't, are professing Christians anyway. They, they, they just have no real strong desire to see Christ. 
I, I want Christ to just make my life better and make me live longer. I don't really want to go see him. Do you actually desire Christ? Do you desire to see him? To be with him? Considering death reminds us that we will soon see the precious lamb who paid for our sins. The very one who died for us. And maybe you can't even imagine how, how that could be better than this life, but, 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 we, but, but it is. Guaranteed. It will be far more glorious than this life. I would argue that, that, that not a person in heaven would desire to come back here and live. Not a person in the presence of Christ would desire to leave His presence. And number five, death is a reminder of what we ought to live for. And if you recall, I dealt with this in Philippians several weeks ago. Those great words in chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I argued that it was, the, it was in this context of contemplating death that Paul wrote those words. You see thoughts of death before and after that verse. And Paul tells us that, that Christ will be magnified in his body, whether by life or by death. And in verse 22 he says, But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed. He says death would be better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. He is clearly contemplating life and death and which is better. And asking what is the priority? Death means Christ, which is far better. But if I live on the flesh, this means fruit for my labor. And then he says in verse 25, And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you for your progress and joy of faith. He contemplates death. And in that context, he prioritizes life to live Christ, to die gain. Again, he's in prison, not knowing when he's going to lose his life. He doesn't have time to waste. If he's going to die, gain. But if he's going to live, fruit. Life means fruit. Death is gain. Dear friends, what is your priority? Does the brevity of life make you prioritize what you do, how you spend your time? Not that you're living in some craven fear of death, and, and so you only act according to this fear of death, but that you consider the shortness of your life and that it makes you diligently work and focus on what matters. Our time is, is short and too precious to waste. May we get to work understanding that we will one day give an account for how we used all of our time 
and for how we used all of our resources. I remember seeing a video of believers in China receiving Bibles. And they're just holding these Bibles near and dear to them, and they're literally crying, shedding tears because they have their own copy of God's Word. And this is just common in our land. Most of us probably have multiple Bibles sitting on our bookshelf collecting dust. These things are common to us. But to whom much is given, much is required. And all of the information we have, all of the the books that we have, is it leading to fruit? Paul says, if I live on in the flesh, that means fruit. Difference, you ought to say and think, if, if I live another day, it means fruit. And, and God has given me resources. He's giving me spiritual fertilizer, books and sermons and all sorts of things, all of this fertilizer to produce good fruit. May we do it. May we say with the great evangelist George Whitfield, I would rather wear out than rust out. Whitfield knew, I'm going to die one way or another. I'm going to wear myself out or I'm going to sit here and rust. One of the two. I would rather wear myself out advancing the kingdom. Living for Christ. My prayer for you this evening is that prayer of Jonathan Edwards, Lord, stamp eternity upon my eyeballs. And may we go home and pray that tonight. And pray it every single day. Lord, stamp eternity upon my eyeballs. How should I be living this day in light of eternity? For life is short. Death is certain. And judgment is severe. Let us pray. Dear God, we once again thank you for your word. For giving us this divinely inspired prayer from Moses. So that thousands of years later we can look at it and profit from it. And may we do so. Dear God, we know that your expectation of us is high. For you have blessed us abundantly. You have blessed us with more than you've given any generation of Christians before. May we not squander the privilege of using these things for your glory. To be more godly ourselves and to go out into the culture and advance your kingdom. To go out to to, to all nations and make disciples, teaching them all things that you command. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.